Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent focusing on everything to do with sexuality, relationships, identity and more. We touch on a wide variety of topics ranging from how to have feminist sex to how dating has changed in the post-Me Too era. I'm your host, Olivia Petter, and today on the programme, I'm joined by Shane Yannick, who you probably know by his drag name, Courtney Act. We're going to discuss gender fluidity. Enjoy the show. Hello. Fans will know Courtney as the amazing drag queen who won Celebrity Big Brother in 2018. Uh, Prior to that, Courtney starred on RuPaul's Drag Race, and most recently, you came second uh, in Dancing with the Stars Australia. I did. It's amazing. It was really fun. We were the first same-sex couple on Strictly or Dancing, um, and... I mean, I was presented as Courtney most of the time. So you looked at it and you saw a man and a woman dancing together. Uh, But then uh, for one of the dances toward the end, we did a a tango foxtrot as two men. And uh, it was really cool. So today that actually fits really well into what we're going to talk about. Uh, We are going to discuss gender fluidity and how drag culture is breaking down some of the rigid structures we have around gender and sexuality. Uh, So Shane, I will mention, has arrived today not in drag. I guess my first question is how do you navigate between these two uh, identities if you even really see it that way? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm always me, but sometimes I look different to other people. Uh, But internally I'm consistent, but sometimes depending on how I look, people treat me differently and therefore I react to that. So like... Straight men are probably the the ground zero where, you know, as Courtney, they'll flirt quite often and uh, I'll flirt back. Uh, but as Shane, they definitely don't flirt and sometimes can be intimidated by, you know, an effeminate boy. And how, um, how often do you uh, dress as Courtney? Um, these days, it's quite often just for work because it is sort of like, I guess it's like, what's a good example if you, I don't know, it's like, I mean, it's like getting dressed up to go on a red carpet or something. If you're in the public eye and you're going to events or you're going to work and then when you're, you, you probably used to enjoy getting dressed up to go out for a night out, but when it becomes your job, um, when you have a night off, you tend to just wear flat shoes. But every now and then I, um, I still like to get tarted up to go to like something fun that I know that I'll have fun in drag whether it be, what did I go to recently? Yeah, I went to a birthday party in drag because I just knew it was going to be a fun night. And um, and it was. And when you are um, dressing as Courtney, and I mean, how does that, does it impact your sexuality when you are sort of uh, trading between these two, even though it's, it's you're obviously still yourself the entire time, but does it change your opinion on things? Uh, I mean, it changes my access Mm. to 
uh, people. How so? Well, because different people are attracted to me depending on how I look. Mm. I'm sort of, I have a very broad spectrum of attraction. Um, but, de- yeah, depending on, on how I'm presenting, you know, for example, you know, straight identifying guys um, or guys who are into um, a broader sense of the the, the label woman um, are often attracted to me, um, even though they are aware that I have a penis. Um, they're sort of still interested. And I think it's because of this rigid um, identification of sexuality of being gay or straight. Uh, but for my sexuality, um, I'm just sort of always attracted to fun experiences and nice people and good connections. And um, there is something, you know, when I'm in drag, there's... Um, there is always like there's there is like still like a slight element of taboo, um, and um, there is something not all the time about men who are attracted to me as Courtney, but quite often there can be like an element of taboo for them, and that there's always like a little extra um, thrill in that. Uh, but probably the most healthy relations are with people who are totally comfortable with their sexuality and and everything sort of acknowledged and on the table. And do you find those people easier to come across those kind of people now when we live in a world where we have celebrities identifying as pansexual, which which is the label you use for yourself? Isn't yeah. it? I mean, I know you know labels are very strange things when it comes to sexuality because it's almost like how can you place someone in a box but because we live in a world where people like labels pansexuality is the term sort of yeah. applied isn't it and i like labels because i think that they help to um they help to bring visibility and mm. for me labels hearing other people talk about labels has been what has helped me um understand who i am relative to those labels and so um I identify as pansexual, which means that I'm attracted to people irrespective of their gender. I am mostly attracted to men, but I've had had intimate relations uh, with people of all genders. And um, I I think actually like the, the whole sort of trans revolution that has been occurring over the past few years that's sort of leading to a bit of a gender revolution has been... Uh, really important in blowing apart people's concept of gender and identity and sexuality and how they all intersect because although I'll do a little quick 101 your sex is biological so it's you know male female or intersex depending on what your chromosomes external genitals hormones all of that sort of stuff says Uh, and then gender is recognized as being sort of the social expectation of how we behave so like man woman, um, and so on. And then sexuality, obviously, is who you're attracted to and what the gender of those people are. Um, and I just found that the gender revolution, the trans revolution, rather, um, sort of just threw this idea of gender on its head for so many people. Um, and having such prominent um, trans activists, whether it be, you know, Laverne Cox, um, shows like Pose, Transparent, uh, Chaz Bono, um, heaps of amazing sort of non-binary people now emerging um, and coming into the public light. And I think that was sort of broken open by the trans revolution. And this conversation about gender... Um, that it always starts sort of in a polarised place, I guess. It was like trans or not. Uh, and now we're getting further down the rabbit hole, if you will. We're able to sort of like tease apart um, the edges and find out what's in the middle and, and have this discussion. And I think um, there was a YouGov survey 
uh, a couple of years ago that surveyed people in the UK and people from 18 to 24, I think it was 40, mm, I'm not going to get the percentage exactly right, but it was like 48% of people aged 18 to 24 identified as not exclusively heterosexual. Yeah, I remember that. So, I mean, it's interesting that, and I think that, statistic had a lot to do with the way the questions were asked because it didn't ask people to label themselves or identify themselves. It just asked them about their experience and therefore sort of on paper um, there was lots of people having lots of different sexual experiences with different genders which doesn't really add up to what we think we know about the world but I think the truth is that people and their sexuality is a lot more fluid than we realize. Yeah, and you see you see people, you know, getting it wrong all the time. I think one of the most obvious examples is people actually conflating gender with sexuality. Yeah. Um because of those expectations that we have which are obviously archaic and tied to you know, tied to really heteronormative ideals. Mm. Um so you mentioned straight men. Yeah. At being at the sort of lower end of understanding. <laughs> and I know previously you said uh, they're often both confused but also intrigued at the same time. Yeah. Why do you think they react like that? Well, I mean, men are very visual creatures. <laughs> and uh, when I'm Courtney, I do look like, uh, you know, a glamorous lady. And uh, they're, they're, hormones and their blood rushes to parts of their bodies and they have, you know, a physical response uh, to what they see and to what they interact with. And um, and e- even when they're aware that my, that I, that I have a penis, they still kind of are intrigued. And I think that more behind closed doors, men are a lot more willing to explore because they're really afraid of what other people might say, what other people might think. Um, but in the moment, they're always sort of a little bit more exploratory and interested. And, and I, I think younger people um, are a lot more open to that, uh, which is really cool. Like I've dated, um, I would have been about 20, um, I would have been about 30 and I was dating a boy who was like 24 um, and he was from like the Midwest in the US, like straight, hadn't been with a guy before. We met um, when I was in drag and he was intrigued and um, and then we started dating sort of then on as boys Um, and like, I don't know, about a month into it, I remember him like talking about how he was talking to his mum about me and talking to his friends and I was like, wait, what, you told your mother? And like I was the one having the reaction and I was like, oh, God, we do live in a different time now where this boy in the Midwest of America was just comfortable telling his mum that he was dating a boy and there wasn't like, there was nothing like scary or big or like life-changing about that. He was just at this time dating a boy and actually when we broke up, he went back to dating girls and said that he didn't have attractions to to other guys but then he's now you know got a girlfriend and they're happy and together and he seems very open about it um and I just think that was like so healthy and not it's uncommon but it's becoming more common did you uh, not feel comfortable having those conversations with your parents when you're growing up um, yeah, when I, I didn't really have the language to be honest until I was 18 and moved to Sydney and really understand, understood what being queer or same sex attracted was. And, 
because um, it was always negative. Like in the schoolyard, you're always called a poofter or a faggot and it wasn't like, it didn't seem like it was something that you wanted to be. Like you could definitely tell from the way the boys were saying it that you didn't want to be those words. Um, so I just never understood that that's what I was uh, until I had a more positive representation of it. There was no um, examples of queer people in the media, you know, in the 90s in Brisbane. The, the most... Um, the most exciting uh, people in the mainstream that I could attach my identity to were the Spice Girls. Um, and, yeah, so it wasn't until I really got to Sydney, I went to the Stonewall Hotel, one of my straight friends, Stephanie, took me along. I was, like, precarious. I was like, well, I don't know, it's not, it's not one of those gay bars, is it? And she was like, yeah, sweetie, you'll love it. And I did. <laughs> um, and I kissed my first boy. And um, it was, yeah, and it all sort of made sense there once I had a framework, like, you know, with those labels and with those references that helped me to understand who I was. And that it's much more visible now. Yeah, you know, we so see, much more. you know, I guess even using the example of RuPaul's Drag Race, that's such a mainstream show, mm. um, giving drag culture such a major platform. Yeah, I um, think in the UK you actually have so much more um, f points of reference just through pop culture in general, whether it be you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans characters on, you know, soap operas and not just like token ones, but like families. Yeah, and not where it's like that's their defining characteristic and yeah. that's part of their characterization. It's just like this is a person in the show that happens to yeah. be gay or trans. And then just like through the history of the UK, like um, visible queer people from... You know, Danny LaRue, Lily Savage. I mean, these are all sort of drag or gender bending people. Eddie Izzard, Grayson Perry, Boyd George, Dame Edna. Um, like so many really high profile, visible sort of gender bending um, people in some some aspect in the UK. And it's just something I think that the UK has grown up with a lot more than the rest of the world. And I've lived in the US and I've lived in Australia. And uh, I think the UK has got the most sort of advanced relationship with masculinity and femininity and sexuality. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Do you think that's also true for something like polyamory? I know that's something you've also touched on in the past. Um, well, it's funny, you know, because to me, I just like to do what feels good to me. Um, 
being aware of, you know, other people as long as I'm not hurting anybody sort of thing. Um, and I have certainly found um, I've been in open relationships before where I've been dating someone and in love with that person and then found someone else attractive. And I've, I'm pretty sure that is uh, a universal experience. Like when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't all of a sudden find the rest of the world unattractive. Yeah, of course not. Um, but I think that um, one of the advantages of being in a same-sex relationship is that you didn't have a framework of reference to grow up with and so you often have to create your own or sometimes you just end up copying the heterosexual sort of model but um, at some points you kind of like cotton on. You're like, hang on a minute. I don't have to follow those rules. I can actually make my own. And I realised uh, I realized that love was not like pie and that if I took a piece that there was less love to be had, I realised that, you know, I love many people, my family, uh, you know, my mum and my dad and my sister and, and whilst obviously love for a partner also um, has a sexual component. Um, it's the same sort of like key element of love, I feel. And, you know, I don't love one parent more than another or, um, and so, yeah, when I, um, when I was with my partner, I realized that I was able to be attracted to have sex with, have, you know, uh, interactions with other people. And it didn't take away from how much I loved my partner. Um, how I, did your partner respond to that when you expressed that? Um, they were on board. Um, although it, it, interestingly, uh, we had my first relationship that was open, we had a different understanding of what open meant. That's the thing. Cause it is so, it's so vague. Obviously you kind of, as you said, you make the rules up as you go along with yeah. yourself. Yeah. And I think I was about 26 and I, I, I just thought an open relationship meant um, that you could have sex with other people, but not necessarily have, you know, go on dates and sort of be romantically involved. Yeah, I think that's probably what my understanding would be as well. Yeah. That you maybe have, maybe have one, uh, one partner, but I think that that's different to polyamory. I'd say open relationship, you have one partner, but then you also have True, other yeah. sexual partners. Whereas I'd say polyamory is just multiple partners. Yeah, I guess that the poly meaning many and the amory meaning love. So it's like love for many. Exactly. As opposed yeah. to sex. Yeah. Um, but sorry, going back to the different understanding of open. Yeah, well, it's funny because my partner uh, at the time, he sort of like would like go on dates and things. And I was like, wait, this isn't what I meant. This was my idea and <laughs> you've, you've got it all wrong. Um, and I remember then being like threatened by that. And now many years later... I actually kind of look back and I'm like, oh, actually, I think that makes more sense. But also because I'm older now, I don't, I'm not actually interested in having just sex with people. I want to have sort of connections and experiences and like, I mean, yeah, that can happen over the space of a night. It doesn't have to be months. But like, I feel like, um, especially in the gay world, um, you know, sex can be uh, a lot more. I think in like a same sex world, there's a level playing field. And so there's a lot less negotiation and a lot less, there's, you know, a different power dynamic and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, having casual sex, um, not to sound cliche or play into a stereotype, but I think having casual sex, you know, with, when you're two guys is easier to come by possibly or more socially normal 
than probably in heterosexual counterparts. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because heterosexual relationships are so, like, they abide by tradition? I think they abide by tradition, but I also think that when it's a man and a woman, there is a totally different um, power dynamic and there men have yeah. to consider, you know, men, men, I guess, like, um, biologically are, you know, sowing their seed kind of thing. Um, and women are wired, you know, differently internally to men. And I think that there's like a negotiation that has to occur. And obviously that's a generalization, but I think, um, quite often, yeah, when it's, when it's two men, it can be, uh, there's less, um, Less in less negotiation involved. I guess like the gender stereotypes are almost abolished yeah, in those and, instances. And then also I think the other issue is that um, there are these other um, um, terms, you know, w- women aren't allowed to be sexually free um, in society. And so, you know, it's, it's that age old thing about a, a stud or an, and a slut sort of thing. I think that there's a there's a real revolution going on for gender and women and sexuality um, that is all I think kind of tied into a similar thing. Um, I think that uh, homophobia is st- steeped in misogyny. Um, I think that um, there's a real issue with masculinity and femininity. And I guess you know the the topic of to- toxic masculinity is always um, close at hand. And I think that in some weird way. Like the whole trans um, movement, I think, has been flipping the concept of gender on its head and just raising these, like someone like Caitlyn Jenner, for all of her flaws, um, really brought the concept of being trans into a real mainstream environment where people like just had to like accept that there was this trans person, you know, in the Kardashian family. Massively. And I think even just the acceptance of her by the, within by the, the Kardashian clan. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think in some ways that, that everybody has to start to adjust their lens on gender and what it actually means. And um, obviously the, the trans experience is a unique one, but I think that when you look at this idea of gender and, you know, blue being for boys and pink being for girls and that girls have to sit a certain way and act a certain way and boys, you know, again, sit a certain way and act a certain way. It, you kind of just realise that it's it all doesn't quite make sense. No, but also I think it's important to note that it does actually really have a big impact on the way that we behave in relationships because you have men conforming to these ideals, these toxic masculinity mm. ideals of being, you know, strong and maybe a little bit more aggressive and, you know, trying to get really physically built. Mm. Whereas, you know, you have women sort of playing up to that and looking glamorous and and being like demure playthings for the men to just sort of take whenever they fancy. Yeah. (laughs) Even like opening doors. You know, it's funny with me, opening doors. Sometimes I'm a man and sometimes I'm a woman. And it really confuses me because (laughs) I'll be wandering around and like I'll open a door for a lady when I'm Shane and then when I'm in drag I feel like it's almost rude to not let a man open a door and it just causes so much like every time I approach a door I'm confused and stressed (laughs) it's so funny because these small things are so entrenched in us that Mm. it's only when you really look and question them that you realize how strange they are yeah like why is it that men are the ones that open doors yeah (laughs) and like why is it that 
men wear like Catherine Hepburn in the 20s wearing a pair of trousers was revolutionary. Now we don't think that women wearing pants, trousers is all that crazy. Um, but then like the idea of a man wearing a dress or a skirt is still kind of like this crazy far out thing, mm. but only like in certain contexts. Like if you look at Muslim men, they're wearing a form of dress and nobody thinks that's peculiar because it's part of their religious doctrine. Um, and weirdly, like religious folk who tend to be the ones who are most insistent on those sorts of um, ideals uh, many times are the ones breaking, like the Pope. I mean, sheer fancy. Like she's she's, <laughs> she's got all that bling and that lovely dress and all of that finery on. But then like, I mean, you would really only see that in like on Liberace or, you know, Elton John back in the day. Um but, yeah, it's kind of just fascinating how that like how people can have such strong opinions. And I suppose for me, the more I go down the rabbit hole, the more confused I get because people think that it's strange that I'm a boy that dresses as a girl. But I think it's strange that you think that because I'm a boy, I should dress a certain way. Or behave in a certain or behave way or in a be attracted way. to a certain type of person. Yeah. I guess my last question would be how do you think we – how do you think we develop as a society to the point where that is no longer strange? I mean, I think we're heading there and I think that um, it's – I think I've noticed that I am often guilty of seeing social trends and thinking that they're going to be around forever, uh, especially the negative ones. Or like cancel culture, for example, you know, has been a popular thing lately and I, I just read uh, an, an article in the LA Times that Sarah Silverman wrote uh, about, you know, we need to cancel cancel culture. Um which I agree with um, in most situations. Obviously, there's some people that are just douches that don't that deserve to be cancelled. Uh, but for minor infringements or for major one-off infringements where uh, the person has shown that they've learnt, I think that it's important that, like, if I had an iPhone when I was 18 or 16 or 14, I would definitely have been cancelled. I think we, I think most people who lived in a pre-smartphone world would have been cancelled. Um, and I just think that um, I think that you often think like when cancel culture is the big thing, you think it's going to be here forever. And I think the thing that is truth is that we, uh, we go through these different phases and we evolve and we learn and, and that the, the good things won't be here forever and the bad things won't be here forever, but it is a constant evolution. And it looks like it's heading in the right direction. I think at the moment it might have been, we might have taken three steps forward and like two steps back because there's been a real big correction, um, you know, with, a, a, you know, someone like Trump in the US and, um, you know, in the UK, the, you know, UKIP and the right sort of, and the, and the Christian right sort of, the extreme Christian right. Um, but then again, a part of me wants to think that maybe that's part of why we're seeing an uprising in 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 progression because, you know, these uh, uh, sort of outdated views have such a big platform now mm. that maybe people are finally being exposed to the horror of that and actually feeling compelled to act against it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a it's a kind of a chicken or the egg. Like mm. I look at marriage equality as being a big thing around the world that I think probably upset a lot of people on the far right. Um and I I have thought that a lot of this um sort of far right rhetoric that's been quite vocal lately has been, you know, in response to that. 
um, when it comes to gender and sexuality. And um, and I think I think we're heading in the right direction. Like I think that um, more visibility in the media is really important. I think more um, honest and genuine characters. Um, and look, it's not just um, queer. It's not just that's the thing. The conversation about gender and sexuality isn't just about queer people. I think, in actual fact, it's most beneficial to, you know, toxic masculinity. Um, and I think that trying the, – there's a lot of finger-pointing with toxic masculinity, um, like looking at what the problem is, which is important. But I think what is most – the most beneficial sort of thing to toxic masculinity is um, like having up a, – a, amplifying you know masculine voices that aren't toxic um and showing examples of men who are have healthy relationships with um you know their masculinity masculinity isn't a bad thing um i ended up in brooklyn a few weeks ago at like a a stranger's house um like i was with some friends and they were friends of a friend and he was sort of like a a gun-owning republican who started it was like midday we'd all been drinking and and then he started talking about like oh toxic masculinity you know what's wrong with masculinity and i was like no there's nothing wrong with masculinity no it's just it's just a way of uh addressing things that we've never addressed before and questioning why is it that men need to be physically stronger than women yeah why is it that women have to be well, i mean men are physically stronger than women generally. but to the point where it's like you know a woman getting muscly in the gym right might be criticized yeah because it's like oh she's too bulky yeah you know because that isn't typically an aesthetic that we have applied to men yeah um and i think that um i think that like yeah there's nothing wrong with masculinity some men are you know by characteristic really masculine but i think it's this imposed um, expectation of society that men have to be a certain way and when they're not allowed to be that way and when they feel that they I think that I, I think the other thing that's interesting I I read this book called The Velvet Rage and um, the sort of subtext was growing up gay in a straight man's world and it talked about this concept of gay shame and I was reading it and I was like oh I don't know what that means like I love being gay it's you know I love I love all of the stuff that goes with it. And then as I kept reading it, I was like, oh, my God, I never knew that I had, like, all of this shame about who I was. It was mm. so entrenched and so deep that I never was even aware that I had shame uh, about liking boys and what it was like growing up in a world that had no uh, examples of role models in the media, that had no examples of, of same-sex relationships or anything like that and how that lack of visibility sort of breeds shame inside you. You think there's something wrong with you um, because you you don't see yourself reflected back. And I think for, um, I think intrinsically men aren't toxically masculine. I think they're just forced into this sort of world. And I, I think that if there was more examples that showed them that they were allowed to cry and have emotions and they could still be men, um, then yeah. that would be positive. Now it is time for our Lessons in Love segment. Um, so this is the moment where I ask guests to share something they have learned from their relationship experiences. Um, so I think yours, uh, Shane, is actually really interesting because it's something that I think is actually talked about quite a lot now. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I'll let you introduce it, but it, it's, a, it's about this concept of failure. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something that I think people are looking at in a different light at the moment because... 
obviously, you know, it goes back to that old adage of, you know, what you what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, learning from your mistakes. So how does that apply to you in terms of your relationships? Well, relationships, you go into a relationship and, you, I mean, I don't know, I'm constantly putting the cart before the horse. You know, you meet someone and then you, you're planning the rest of your life together and I'm like, stop that. Like, let's just go on the date first. Um, and then you're in the relationship with them and you're, you're fantasising about this ideal sort of probably Disney-provided script of, of how your relationship should be and you fall in love and you think that that person is the one forever. Um, and I remember when, when sort of my first sort of main relationship ended... I felt like I was a failure because the relationship ended and I thought that we were together forever and that that we had failed somehow. And I realised that it was actually just the expectation that it was supposed to be forever and that, you know, Hollywood ideal that relationships were supposed to last forever that made me feel like a failure. But I realised that we came together perfectly. This was with some time reflecting back. I realised that we came together perfectly and we ended perfectly and that relationships, most of them, are not forever. Um, there are very few that are forever and actually, well, none technically forever because someone, unless both people die at the same time, um, which would be tragic. Which never happens. Which never happens. Apart from in the notebook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so really no relationships last forever and that... All relationships, like the rest of life, is fluid and it, you know, transforms and changes shape and there's good bits and there's bad bits and it's more about um, sort of accepting reality is rather than as you want it to be. And I think that I was attached to this idea that my relationship was going to last forever and that was actually what was bringing me the most heartbreak when I broke up with my sort of my first love. Um, and I think actually that attitude can probably just cause a lot of problems within the relationship when you're still together because mm. it's almost like every little issue becomes exacerbated because you're like, well, this is the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. But it's like, well, no, that shouldn't be your mindset that every relationship is forever because, you know, looking back, you know, there's there's no way you're going to look back on a three-year relationship and every, you know, every single day in that relationship was awful just because you broke up. Yeah. And people do that. They're like, oh, it was all a lie. And I'm like, yeah. no, it was all lovely when it was lovely and it was shit when it was shit. Like yeah. we, we love to like sugarcoat and idealise things so much. And I think that having a real dose of realism, realising that your relationship won't last forever and that's okay. Um, and I think also sometimes we get into relationships maybe for the wrong reasons where we're trying to validate our own identity mm. forever. Um, and when we place so much of our own identity on the validation we get from being in a relationship, uh, when it does end, we feel like, you know, we're not, um, we feel like our identity has been ripped apart. And I think that, um, you know, coming together with somebody you need to you can definitely learn a lot in a relationship I used to think that you had to be like I have to be whole and complete and I can share that with someone else um, and some part of that is true but I also think you can learn a lot from being with someone and being in love with someone and sharing with somebody um, and I just think you know communication is obviously really important and often easier said than done because we all bring our own damages to every relationship and we're all reacting out of our past conditioning and our past traumas and bring them into our relationships but um yeah being aware of that 
for yourself is is the most important thing and and realizing that you know life all parts of life are impermanent and and relationships are not excluded from that that's all we have time for this week on millennial love follow independent lifestyle on social media to keep up to date with what's coming up on the show And if you're a new listener, remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen. Also, leave us a rating and comment with your thoughts on our conversation today. Until next time, thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.